Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. In dentistry, we learn lots about how bacteria is the cause of all our problems, from dental caries, gingivitis, pulpal necrosis, periapical lesions. Are all bacteria bad for us? To discuss this question, I've brought on senior lecturer at Melbourne University, Dr. Samantha Byrne, to discuss all things saliva and the environment that it creates for our microbiome. Very quickly into this episode, you'll learn how quickly this stuff gets nuanced and that there's not really such thing as a good or bad bacteria. Who knew that spit could be so interesting? Let's get into it. I think there probably are. I think there's probably a a collection of what we call good oral bacteria. I try not to talk about bacteria has been good and bad, but I, what I like to think about is we have healthy microbial communities and we have disease-associated microbial communities. We definitely want microorganisms in our mouth and we, prob- we definitely need microorganisms in our mouth. So we know if we look at animals who don't have communities of oral microorganisms, their, their mucosa is not as healthy. So we probably need these microorganisms. It seems like infants who have, are exposed to a greater variety of microorganisms have less issues with immune diseases, things like allergic diseases like asthma and eczema. So we probably really do need our our own collection of health-associated microorganisms in the mouth for sure. So as my child patient hops into the dental chair and starts licking the leather while I'm trying to take patient notes, that's not a problem? Well, actually, that's a really good question. That's probably not ideal. However, what we find is the mouth is, seems to be really selective. It's very lots and lots of different microorganisms go in the mouth, but absolutely not everything that goes in can live there. So the mouth seems to be highly selective for the microorganisms that it wants to live in the mouth. And certainly if we look at the colonisation of the mouths of infants, it seems like lots of microorganisms that are associated with health, like different streptococci, are the ones that colonize the mouth first. And that's probably important for the development of a good sort of health associated microbial community. So what does a good or rather a favorable oral environment look like? So I think a a good oral environment is an environment that's, if we talk about the, the oral environment as a whole, you want an environment that's got plenty of saliva in it. You want an environment that doesn't dry out all of the time. So you ideally you want to be breathing through your nose most of the time rather than breathing through your mouth most of the time. And you want to make sure that there's plenty of time for the teeth to to repair themselves or for saliva to do its job. So an environment where there's not lots of things like dietary sugar being added in frequently. When we're looking at plaque, a good plaque environment is an environment that is constantly disrupted. We want to constantly be disrupting plaque so that we've got early colonizing microorganisms in our plaque and that we don't have lots of what we call late colonizing microorganisms um, sitting in plaque and we don't have plaque that's been sitting around for long periods of time. We also want plaque that's at a reasonably neutral pH and again that's about diet. We want to make sure that there's not lots of frequent sugar consumption so that plaque bacteria are uh, making lots of acid uh, and we don't want them to be storing all of that sugar for them to use later on. Mm. We talk about how our probiotics are more of the early colonizers what does that breakdown happen between the early colonizers and the late colonizers occur? So 
Um, probiotics have a particular definition. So probiotics are microorganisms that we consume that when they're live and that can cause, have some type of health benefit, which is slightly different to our sort of health associated microorganisms. But certainly we find that if we, and if we, for example, if we're talking about dental plaque, when, if we get a whole lot of people to clean their teeth and we look at the plaque that develops over time, we tend to find lots of very early on in plaque formation, we find lots of streptococcus, Rothia species, some actinomyces, um, some Neisseria. That's what we tend to find in health. If we let plaque sit around for a long period of time, that's when we tend to get those later colonizing species like Fusobacterium, some Porphyromonas gingivalis, for example, those species that might be more associated with, with periodontal disease. If we let supergingival plaque sit around for a long time in the mouth and provide it with lots of sugar, we can provide a nice acidic environment so that we kill off some of those health-associated microbial communities and increase the, the numbers of microorganisms that really like living in that acidic environment and can produce more acid, and that's when we might get dental caries. So you mentioned before about what we want to do is disrupt the plaque mechanically. Is there also, I guess we all, we all know that sugar con- contributes to the acidity in the mouth, but is there other means and ways of reducing that acidity as well? So really about reducing the consumption of, of sugar is the, is the key one for, for plaque. Uh, about things like main, maintaining hydration. So you want to make sure you've, you've got optimal saliva flow and really good plaque control. So they're, they're really sort of the key, the key things, not, not complicated to, to try and maintain that really nice, healthy environment. Do you want to add orthodontics to your general practice? So many patients today are looking for aesthetic outcomes and and changes, things that we can do with things like aligners and fixed braces that can put the teeth where they need to be so we can be more minimal in what we do to those teeth. I know it's something I wanted to learn and personally I've gone down the path with OrthoEd doing the mini masters. I'm also getting treatment myself. I'm in aligners right now. If you're ready to go all in with orthodontics, you can go and do the mini masters with OrthoEd and Dr. Jeff Hall and at the end you can get a postgraduate diploma. But if you're starting off with smaller steps, they even have some online education including aligners and aligner courses that are standalone. In the COVID environment we're currently in, these courses have remained live and we can then go and do them in person later on. I really appreciate the way they've managed that and I'm still getting tons of value. OrthoEd gives you an understanding from the foundational level. You understand aligners as well as fixed braces, the mechanics and all the things in between. If you're about to start your orthodontic journey, check out dentalheadstart.com slash orthoed to get 10% off their entire range. You might even run into me at one of the courses. Yeah, yeah. So when you read about a few papers on microbiology, they talk about how there are certain types of bacteria that you know are considered good for the mouth and i think one that keeps coming up is uh, strep salivarius i believe yep. yeah so and apparently there a lot of them are found in cranberries is that actually true um so that's not my area of expertise i think there are a couple of a couple of researchers in australia who do look at at cranberries and um certainly polyphenols um Streptococcus salivarius is one of those lovely microorganisms that we think is really important in the mouth for helping maintain health. It probably helps keep some of the um, more disease-associated microorganisms under control, and it might be able to do things like take different compounds in the mouth and produce basic compounds, so help 
helping to increase the pH in plaque to help maintain health. It may be that certain dietary polyphenols can help promote the growth of, of these sort of health-associated microorganisms. So that's where those, some of those additional links between diet and promoting oral health might come in. Mm. On the other end of the spectrum, we've talked about how you know eating sugary foods promotes an acidic environment. I've also heard in papers that you can oftentimes with patients that have things like gastric reflux or they're just drinking really acidic drinks, that it's almost too acidic of an environment for plaque to form. Can that be the case as well? Getting into, right into my uh, the thing I love talking there about. There we go. So the, the first stage of plaque development is th- that developing a layer of salivary proteins and glycoproteins over the surface of the tooth. And that's really important for a variety of different reasons. And one of them is that it it's a lubricant for the teeth. So instead of having you know, these big blocks of hydroxyapatite rubbing up against one another, they're lubricated by these really water-holding proteins like mucins in saliva. And so that allows microorganisms to grab a hold of the teeth and it allows plaque to develop. The problem when you've got a lot of acid in the mouth is it's very good at removing that layer of salivary glycoproteins. You do it in the clinic when you're going to place a composite resin restoration is you, you etch the tooth. tooth. And part of that is getting, getting rid of, um, not only are you making your little dips and crevices, but you are getting rid of that salivary pellicle. And so if somebody has gastric reflux, or I've seen some, a beautiful, perhaps not for the person, but a beautiful case study of a person who ate six Granny Smith apples every day for lunch. And just the, the erosion was a, um, a huge problem. So yeah, absolutely. That as we said at the beginning, we probably need these microorganisms in our mouth, and we definitely need that layer of salivary proteins and glycoproteins on our teeth to protect them from that the physical damage, but also chemical damage from acids. Your case study you were saying about this lady who eats six apples. I think that's a very important one to bring up because a lot of patients ask me, you know, is fruit sugar and fructose different to the kind of sugars? that you know, you'd see in a chocolate bar or something like that. I guess, could you comment on the fermentability of both sugars, I suppose? Yep, beautiful. So, mm. so exciting. I've actually got goosebumps. So yep. <laughs> if, we, if we take those sugars out and we take them in a laboratory and give them to microorganisms, there are some microorganisms that are not fussy at all. They will happily eat those sugars and be able to produce acid and do so very well with, with both types of sugar. What we find in the mouth, though, um, and this is that sort of key of looking at what are we finding in laboratory studies and what does that mean when we look at humans and how humans eat? We largely don't eat sugar. We eat food. We don't eat nutrients, so we eat food. So when we are consuming things like high sucrose foods, like sucking on a lollipop, for example, it's quite different to the sugar that we would have if we were, and I will use apple as an example because I think that that I just gave apple as a bad example, but that was high acidic apple over a long period of time. We're eating apple. What's happening is we're chewing. So automatically we've got lots of saliva being produced. There's all of the other things in that fruit that sit around the sugar. So we've got um, fiber, we've got lots of water. And so it's not, it's not equal. Uh, and I guess the the difference is when you think about the difference of eating an apple versus drinking the juice of the apple. If you if you drink a glass of apple juice, you're getting a huge amount of sugar. If you you probably wouldn't be able to eat the same number of apples as the to get the same amount of sugar as you would get from a glass of of apple juice because 
you would feel full. We say that fruit sugar, when we're talking about whole fruit, we will generally consider not to be a problem for dental caries. And I'll come back to the six apples for lunch. So fruit, fruit sugar, eating fruit sugar in terms of dental caries, we generally don't consider it to be a problem. If we are drinking that sugar or we're having that sugar as a fruit concentrate, that's when it becomes problematic because we're pulling the sugar, we're pulling the water and the fiber and all of the other things from that food out. The little star of, but there's always an exception, is if you are only eating fruits that are really acidic, then that can be a problem. So for example, if you sit and eat six Granny Smith apples for lunch, not good for your teeth. And if you've got somebody who is snacking constantly on the fruit, that might be a problem where you, that constantly providing sugar is, is is the problem. I really want to add to your point because to bring things back to cranberries, I think as a dental student, when I read about how you know, you know these these cranberries can be good for your oral environment, I think when you tell that to your friends or your patients, they don't think like a lot of them don't think, oh, I'm going to go start eating lots of cranberries. They go, oh, I like cranberry juice, so I'll start drinking more cranberry juice, and all of a sudden, oh, well, my dentist said to start drinking cranberry juice and not. Uh, there's there's can be a bit of difficulty with um, the nuance of uh, fruit sugar, I suppose. Absolutely, and look, cranberries is a perfect example of that of the nuance. And that actually, if you go to a supermarket and try and buy cranberries, certainly here in Australia, and I know because I did it recently for a salad I was trying to make, that cranberries are not the same as say a sultana. Cranberries are dried with added sugar, with sugar added to it. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah. most of them have huge amounts of sugar that have been mm. added to the cranberry because mm. they're very, very tart and yeah. quite unpleasant to eat unless they've had all of that sugar added. So, yeah. It, it makes a good headline, hey? <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's 2022, a time where cloud-based software is enhancing every aspect of our lives. So why not leverage those same capabilities in something we use every day? Our dental practice management software. Imagine a platform rethought from the ground up, intuitive and intelligent, using the possibility of today's technology for your patients and your business. A solution that optimizes our daily workflows, creating the edge that modern dentists need to stay competitive and connected. Principal practice management software is this solution. Efficient, intelligent, intuitive. Because it's 2022 and you expect better. Go to principal.dental to learn more. So I guess one thing that pops into my mind as we're talking about different sugars is kind of the, it's been happening for a long time, but the craze of kind of sugar-free gum and, you know, chewing it after a meal and the effects of xylitol. Can you give your opinion on those kind of products? If we talk about sugarless gum, we'll um, separate out a couple of the elements that you were talking about, about the chewing and then about the xylitol. So chewing, as soon as we start chewing gum, fantastic. We get saliva stimulated. So all of a sudden the mouth is flooded with saliva and saliva is magic. It um, It's designed to help repair and protect teeth. We've obviously got the benefit of that from, from gum. Adding something like xylitol into gum, the thought is that adding xylitol in, there are some microorganisms that can take xylitol up. They can't actually get any energy from the xylitol, but what it might do is it might sort of almost distract them so that they're spending all of this time and maybe that it might help reduce the growth of these microorganisms uh, in some way. The, the studies around xylitol, chewing gum and dental caries are mixed. There's a, a couple of different systematic reviews around that are a little bit old now and the findings are a little 
a little bit. Some of the studies are not of very good quality. And the, the studies are certainly mixed in terms of the impact of xylitol and, and chewing xylitol gum on dental caries. Definitely, you know, unless you've got a TMJ problem or a, a serious tooth wear problem, but definitely TMJ problems, you know, chewing some, if you're not out, if you're out and you're not able to clean your teeth after saying having lunch, then absolutely, or, you know, a snack of some sort, then absolutely chewing some sugar, sugarless gum may be a fantastic thing to increase the saliva in your mouth wash away some acids that are around. Brilliant. There may be a possible added benefit of adding some xylitol in. It's probably not going to be the difference between, or possibly not the difference between dental caries and no dental caries. And it can upset some people's gut. Um, so some people are not, are, are not don't cope very well with xylitol. I think it's probably not the cure-all. It's probably if you've got a, if there's a, you've got a patient who has a, have a, has a high caries risk, Adding some sugarless gum in as a strategy to increase saliva flow at different times when they're not able to to brush with a fluoride toothpaste may be beneficial, but it, it's possibly not the xylitol that's going to be doing the work. It's probably more likely the saliva. Again, the little star of there's a there's a little added but that is some some sugarless gums are a lemon flavored. They have citric acid added, whilst they're delicious. The, the added citric acid is probably not ideal, although it's it's you know it's probably washed away largely by the saliva. So you know it may only be a problem for people who have a higher risk for erosion. But what about uh, like sugar-free mints? Again, probably quite similar. That that it's you're adding something into the mouth, so you're automatically going to increase the amount of saliva that's around. And I think there's been some some nice studies in schools around chewing sugar-free gum and sugar-free mints and things like that. And it's it's that increased saliva flow um, helping to to help, you know, repair and protect teeth. So I was going to say again, some of them do have quite a lot, are quite acidic. So it's really about finding finding the thing that's not acidic. Yeah. I, I think it, it it I can imagine it'd be quite difficult for patients because on the one hand, you do have some that are sugar-free, but the ones that do have sugar in them look pretty much identical to the they market themselves you know, as that same kind of non-sugar style. Yes, exactly. And yeah, you see the damage that things like Tic Tacs do to the mouth as well. Absolutely. Right, you're so, just taking me back. Yeah. My dad always had a, a, a pack of Tic Tacs in the car yeah, yeah. and, you know, you, you don't think about it. But yeah, that was, was a terrible thing to be doing while you're driving all the time. So I guess to drive home uh, kind of the theme of this episode, you know, we, we've got a patient with a high caries risk. It's, it's funny with dental school because the terms that we learn like xerostomia, like do they feel like they have a dry mouth? And then there's hyposalivation, which is like their their mouth is not even producing the slightest bit of saliva. But there's no, it doesn't feel like there's a term to kind of describe patients that are just, they're on lots of medication. They still have saliva, but it's just not as prevalent as somebody with a lower caries risk. How might we, as dental professionals, just go about trying to improve not only you know, by doing restorations and oral hygiene instructions, but actually going about changing the oral environment that's there in the mouth? Yeah, that's a really good question. The saliva plays such a big role in many aspects of, of somebody's quality of life. One of the things about not having a lot of saliva around is not only is it impacting the environment, but it can really impact a person's ability to enjoy uh, food because they can't taste it as well. Um, and it can influence the choices that they make. So if, if you've got a patient who has poor a poor salivary flow, for example, the example you gave somebody who's on 
medications and they have to keep taking those medications, it can be really hard, hard that, that balance of working with them to make sure that, you know, that the foods and drinks they're consuming are not contributing to their increased caries risk, but they're still able to enjoy their, their life. You know, yeah, if, yeah, if they yeah. can't taste as well, they may be drawn to drinks that are high in sugar because uh. they can taste them. So it's really about, you know, working with patients and and looking at, um, you know, reducing their caries risk in their diet, reducing erosion risk in diet, disrupting plaque, looking at supplementing with fluoride. So is it getting them to use a high concentration fluoride toothpaste? Um, we certainly um, have uh, anecdotal evidence or reports from a couple of colleagues I work with who work in dry mouth clinics that something like tooth mousse that contains CPP, ACP is quite quite well tolerated by patients who have a dry mouth, particularly at night, can uh, help relieve their, their dry mouth at night. So it's sort of the same thing for any patient who has a high caries risk, but it's that added difficulty of you know, trying to to overcome you know, the 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 problems of that poor saliva flow that that can interfere with with quality of life as well. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.